Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and this week's episode brings you a very cool interview with the one-woman army, Ayatoya. Uh, I met her at the Pig Face show. She was the opening act up on stage all by herself, uh, playing keyboards, playing guitar, singing, providing an AV show all alone. And it was awesome, and I was very impressed with her. Uh, we went and spoke to her at the merch table, bought a couple of things, got her album Code Blue, which you can get at her Bandcamp site. And uh, I gave her a business card and told her I'd love to talk to her on the show and uh, heard back a few weeks later that she enjoyed the show. And I said, you want to come on? And here we go. Uh, so we have a great interview where I talk to her about uh, just music and how she's gotten to where she is and, and creation and motivation and all the things that we find fascinating here on the Needless Things podcast. But before we get to that, uh, I want to talk to you uh, about a few little news bites. I've been enjoying doing these little introductory news segments lately. So I'm going to kick it off by pointing out that New York International Toy Fair is February 22nd through the 25th this year. Uh, our coverage will go up the Friday immediately following. I've already sort of set down our recording date to do our episode covering it. And uh, something that I'll go ahead and tell you guys, I guess... Uh, you, you noticed that I'm pretty much not writing for NeedlessThingsPodcast.com anymore. We'll still be doing the podcast every single week. Every Friday you'll get a new episode. Uh, I'm expecting more mini-casts to be coming your way. But uh, as a matter of fact, uh, a new one went up this week reviewing Mondo's 12-inch, uh, 12, 1-sixth uh, 12 scale Scareglow figure from Masters of the Universe. So you can go check that out on Podbean, uh, which is... Like, you can find us on Podbean, but you can also find us everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, uh, the Podbean app, which is actually where I listen to a lot of my favorite shows. Uh, Seeking Human Victims and the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast are both on Podbean, which is nice. Um, And uh, Double Edge, Double Bill, which I will be recording for for tonight and I don't know when it's going to go up it might be next Friday but of course uh, stay tuned to all of my social media and to this very show and I'll let you know when that happens I don't know if I can tell you what we're talking about or not but I do dig that show and I'm excited uh, to be talking to our pal from Dragon Con Thomas Mariani so that'll be very cool but uh, so I, I stopped writing Basically, I mean, I'll, from time to time, I'm sure something will catch my fancy and I'll, I'll put uh, fingers to keys and crank a little something out. But the, a lot of factors went into it. And one of them was this year, I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to go to Toy Fair if I can. I, I'll figure it out. I'll get up to New York. I, I know a few people up there. And 
just finally go to Toy Fair, something I've wanted to do for years, really a decade. The whole time I have been running a website and doing a podcast, uh, it's something that I've really wanted to do. And I went and looked, and I probably should have gone ahead and applied anyway, but they want your like metrics or whatever for your your podcast, your website, whatever it is you're doing. They want your numbers. They want your clicks. They want your hits. And what Needless Things gets is nowhere near uh, what they want to give somebody a press pass. And, of course, this is a closed uh, convention. Uh, so uh, you have to have... You either have to be a toy manufacturer or you have to be press or you have to be like a celebrity type person uh, to get into this thing. So... It it was I, I probably should have tried anyway because you never know. But I just I saw that number and I was like, man, that's just not going to happen. Let's not go through this whole process. Uh, it was it was a little discouraging, but at the same time, uh, there's a certain amount of peace in knowing sort of where you're at, I guess. And anytime a door closes, uh, other other things open, other opportunities present themselves. And even though I'd planned to take it easy this year, there are already a couple of opportunities that have popped up that I'm going to take advantage of and that I'm, I'm excited for. So we'll see where the year goes. But regardless, our Toy Fair coverage will be here at the end of February. Uh, and one of the biggest, most interesting developments that I'm going to be looking at at Toy Fair uh, Hasbro is working with Jazzwares on G.I. Joe products. Now, I mentioned to you guys uh, last week or the week before that Hasbro has assigned somebody to be in charge of a, an entire new G.I. Joe line, and it's very interesting that they're licensing G.I. Joe out to Hasbro's to work on products. This came from our pals over at HisTank.com, who are the same ones that broke the news about there being a brand manager for G.I. Joe, and... Chances are this is going to be something along the lines of what Jazzwares has done with the Fortnite license, doing uh, sort of role-play items. Uh, this is what I would expect. We'll see what happens. And I do think that Toy Fair might be a little bit early because this all seems to be fairly recent news. Uh, it mostly seems to be sort of 2020 news. And I'm not sure if by Toy Fair they'll really have anything to report, but certainly by San Diego Comic-Con. I would expect there to be some pretty major announcements and products to show. Uh, so, GI Joe is back. Like, I, the brand manager news was cool, but it's kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. But this is actually bringing another company in to work on the license, which is a very different situation. There's this is other people are involved. So we'll we'll see where that goes. And I'm not necessarily interested in Jazzwares products. I don't think there'll be figures. I think Hasbro will handle that themselves. Uh, but it's just good news. This is another step in revitalizing one of the franchises that I love the most. And speaking of G.I. Joe, another awesome thing is uh, Super Impulse, who are right now creating some of the coolest little toys you'll see in like Target and Walmart. Well, actually, I haven't seen them in Walmart, but I've seen them in Target, uh, which is fine, because wouldn't we all rather go to Target anyway? Uh, Super Impulse makes little tiny versions of toys that we know and love. As a matter of fact, sitting here on my desk right now... Hang on just a second. Woo 
All right, I hope you were able to hear that. What that is, is a little tiny Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pinball video game. It's the size, it's sized for G.I. Joe figures. If I put Snake Eyes or Shipwreck or whoever in front of this, it would be perfectly scaled to G.I. Joe figures. So I guess that's about 118th scale, but it's beautiful. It has this, uh, the display, I didn't mean to turn that on again, but uh, the display is actually like animated. I thought it was going to be like the old school, uh, if you remember the Nintendo Game & Watch that had the little black and gray screen, I thought it was going to be like that. This is a full color, like beautiful screen uh, that this thing has on it. It's great. So Super Impulse does things like that. Well, they are also doing a line of 1.25 inch G.I. Joe action figures complete with accessories as insane as that sounds and they are the real American hero G.I. Joes. Now we've seen a lot of times in the past these sorts of things come out and they're they're like Army, Marine, Navy, Air Force, like they're not characters that we know. They're very generic. This is actual real American hero characters. The first three releases are Duke, Roadblock, and Snake Eyes. Like I said, they each come with all of their original accessories, just super tiny. Uh, They have very limited articulation, obviously, but at that size, you're not going to have knees and elbows, but they've got uh, waist and shoulder. It looks to me like they have waist, shoulder, and neck swivels, uh, which is fine. Now, these aren't necessarily something I would have wanted, but then when you read further down into the product announcement, you see that each one of them comes on a tiny replica of their original blister card, complete with the file card and the original artwork. That is so charming, my pants are just off. Uh, it's, It's unbelievable. Like, just thinking about having these little things lined up on the wall. I don't even know where you'd put them. I, I can't put them on the wall because a push pen's going to be bigger than the figures are. But I'm absolutely going to get these things if I find them. I'm excited about them. As I'm excited about any new G.I. Joe product, especially Real American Hero. Uh, and then finally, our last news bite is there is a new trailer for Fox's long-beleaguered New Mutants movie. Now... I have to admit that I I find it hard to get too excited about any Fox X-Men mutant uh, films after the last few X-Men movies, but this one looks really, really cool. It the tonally it looks like it's something very appropriate and specific to the new mutants and of course the creative team is is very different from any that have worked on these movies before Uh, it's being directed by josh boone uh written by josh boone and nate lee who i I got I, i know the name josh boone i can't think off the top of my head uh what else he's worked on i don't even know if he's worked on anything that i've seen but uh it's a new name. It's a new exciting name. And the cast, though, is what initially won me over. You have Maisie Williams uh, as Rain, Anya Taylor-Joy as Ilyana, Charlie Heaton as Sam Guthrie, uh, Alicia Braga as Cecilia Reyes, Blue Hunt as Danny, uh, Henry Zaga as Sunspot, and, of course, the Demon Bear, which they sort of played a little shy about whether or not this was going to be a demon bear story but uh it absolutely apparently is and man i couldn't be more excited uh, about this thing especially after seeing the new trailer because it looked like after the disney acquisition 
that New Mutants might never come out or might be released in some low-key way, which, granted, I still would have watched it, uh, but it's getting the theatrical release. Now, on Wikipedia, it says April 3rd. The trailer just says 2020, so I don't know how concrete that April 3rd is, but if you go look for the most recent New Mutants trailer, it's great. It shows a lot of powers. It shows the demon bear. It shows the tone of the movie. It shows the personality of the characters. Uh, Ilyana and uh, Rain particularly seem spot on. I'm very excited for this thing. I hope that it's it's kind of a nice final, uh, you know, send off for. It, it's I don't know that it's necessarily part of the previous Fox X Men franchise, but there was there was some good and some bad in that franchise. But there's no doubt it's a legendary entry. Uh, into the pantheon of comic book movies. And this, it'll be nice if sort of the final work can be something great and possibly even something that Disney in the future can build off of. This is a young cast. This is an exciting concept. Uh, and it would be really neat if Disney could say, well, this is sort of low-key, but it did well. It's interesting. People seem to like it. Let's build off of this and start instead of starting completely fresh, uh, whenever we do bring mutants in. Uh, because that's the thing I always loved about Marvel's mutants is you, you obviously had some primary characters like Storm and Wolverine, but the teams were different all the time. You didn't have to have the same protagonists uh, every single story arc. So New Mutants, I'm very excited about it. Uh, maybe April 3rd, but I have not seen anything that's official. As we all know, Wikipedia is far from official. So there you go. That's our news. Uh, that's really everything that's been going on. It's a new year so far. The new year has been pretty good to me. I have no complaints. Uh, and like I said, opportunities already opening up that I have to choose to say yes or no to. And I, once again, am probably going to end up saying yes, because when somebody appreciates you and uh, somebody wants your particular uh, style or brand or whatever on something, it's really hard to turn that down. So, guys, sit back, get ready for a fascinating conversation with a great artist. And uh, here's, here is a little something from her album, Code Blue. This is the title track, Code Blue. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ayatoya.
it makes sense when uh, you are Polish like me, <laughs> because when spoken out loud, this name in Polish means it's just me. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah, so it's not in writing. In writing, it makes no sense in Polish. But the way you speak it, when you speak it out loud, that's where Polish people are like, wow, wait, it sounds, wow, it sounds like it's just me. <laughs> Ayatoya. Ayatoya, yeah, okay. exactly, wow. Excellent, all right. Okay, so the first thing I want to ask you about, because uh, I became aware of you because you were opening for Pigface. Yes. Which is crazy. I've been following them for decades, like so many people have. Uh, but you blew me away at that show because Pigface, widely known as like one of the largest industrial acts, they have like a dozen people on stage sometimes. And then, but before they go on, you go up there and it's just you. This. Yeah amazing one woman show powerful doing the the program and you'll have to explain the uh the technical side of the electronics but picking up the guitar doing everything yourself with this full like audio visual show and it just struck me as so powerful that this singular person was opening up for this band <laughs> that is awesome thank you so much thank you yes it's definitely you know, a uh, different approach of band concept. So, you know, Pickface is a different approach of band concept because they gather so many people on stage. It is definitely a non-classical way of taking a band as we know it, right? Yeah. Normally the band is four or five piece. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's six. But uh, this is a monstrosity, right? Uh, Pickface is a monstrosity of a band. And so... Part of, you know, the twisted uh, idea here was that I am also a band, but I'm a, like on different spectrum of it. I'm a one-person band. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's what impressed me is I think when you're when you're performing with a band, you you sort of have these other people up on stage with you to to share energy with and to share. Um, I guess that anxiety, because any any time I've been on stage, there's always a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of performance. Oh, I'm in front of people, uh, and yeah. going up there by yourself is a whole different creature. But going up there by yourself and also doing all of the things that you were doing, singing and playing and and uh, taking care of the the presentation, because your style of music is a different stage presentation from a traditional band. Yeah. Definitely. Yes, it is. It has its challenges. And uh, I've been doing it for a year now. So I started my first show was uh, on November 10th, 2018. So it's been a little over a year. So when you saw me, it was like exactly a year since I started doing it. And uh, it's definitely completely different uh, approach to performing than with bands but i guess to me the the biggest thing is that i just love performing i have no stage fear and uh, i enjoy it so much it's like an addiction so <laughs> so this being said you know uh, 
applying all those other skills and uh, making sure that I can do them in a timely manner and uh, keep them organized and know, you know, when, what comes and what I need to do next. It took me, uh, it took me some time. It took me several months to actually program and to prepare and to practice uh, till I was ready to, to go for my first show. And then from there, it was just, you know, practicing, practicing uh, those skills and getting better at uh, multitasking because that's what essentially this whole thing is it's a lot of multitasking (laughs) Uh, yeah obviously like i couldn't believe it when uh, i was like no no somebody should be handing her that guitar why is she walking over there to get it herself (laughs) (laughs) so yes you know i've heard this from some people actually i think it was in austin uh uh, someone from the audience came up to my merge booth after my show and uh, they said you know, I wish that you can one day you can afford the musicians. <laughs> and I was thinking about this, like, I don't want to. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, denying the whole idea of one-woman army, which I market myself as right now. And uh, I used to be in bands, and I used to uh, be part of bigger projects. And I still am. I still do a bunch of collaborations, you know, and uh, I, I definitely don't... Uh, deny the the overall love to stage life whether it is with the band or just on my own but uh, this was challenging and this was something new and i wanted to do this the way it is just because it feels like there is not many one people one person one person projects out there that would do what i do well and also when it's just you uh because that's while it's nice to have collaborators, it's also a different kind of challenge because you have to coordinate with other people. Everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to share responsibility. So it's probably got to be also kind of freeing to be, you're the one in charge, you're the one doing it. Oh, mine. It's like you are reading my mind and my life story. <laughs> <laughs> because that's where it came from. The uh, essential, you know, uh, Ayatoya as it is today, came from uh, being disappointed, basically, uh, in projects that I used to have. And it's nothing personal, you know. It is just how it is. It's life. So my level of passion and commitment is just very up there. And I'm ready to do things, and I want to do things, and I take joy and pride in doing things. And uh, it, you know, involves a lot of hours of hard work. And not everyone is able to give this time and this, uh, you know, sacrifice. So what it came down to was that, uh, you know, with bands, I was always feeling slowed down. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do what I wanted to do uh, the way I wanted to do because everyone was taking their time. And that's nothing uh, wrong with that, as long as you are on the same page. And I guess I was always the one that wanted to do things faster. And I really just wanted to do them. I wanted to tour. I wanted to play. I wanted to record. So at this point, I realized, you know, it's either me changing something and figuring out how to do it on my own, or I will forever be stuck in this uh, slow down motion that is just not good for me. So, you know, what happened is what you saw. (laughs) And that's amazing. This is resonating so much with me right now because over the past um, probably year or so, uh, other nothing musical, but other projects that I've done that involve working with other people, uh, it's, it's tough because the, the dedication may not be the same. The vision may not be the same. And it's, it's hard 
you know, when, when you enjoy people's talents and you know they incorporate with what you're doing, but you can recognize that they're not as invested, that's a that's a tough thing to deal with and it's discouraging to your own creativity. Oh, definitely, yes. It's definitely not only slowing down the process as it is, uh, you know, visible to the outer world, but it's also slowing down your inner part of creativity, as you say, which is not good, you know. Um, right now, doing what I do, the only person that can slow me down is me, which is uh, great. I mean, <laughs> I really like the way things are right now. <laughs> well, and you posted something very interesting um I think it was on Instagram the other day about Mm -hmm. peace versus pace. Oh yeah. And that also really got me because that it's a hard balance Mm -hmm. to to find. Yeah, it is. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, I am a huge advocate for mental health and suicide prevention. And uh, my first album that I, written, recorded, and produced at home on my own, called Blue Album. This album is uh, supporting suicide prevention, and it talks about mental struggle and the darkness, and, you know, in the form that it does. But uh, that post uh, on Instagram the other day that you saw, it basically touches this uh, very issue that I feel each of us have. It is that pace versus peace, and how much should we be running, and especially... I feel like after holidays and uh, with the new year coming up and the new decade, you know, of expectations, because that's what it is. We come up to the new year and we have all those expectations, all those resolutions, all those ideas of how great we are going to be now, right? So we are, you know, uh, facing this kind of dilemma. Should I focus on my mental health, on peace, on taking it easy, or should I go all the way in and work, 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 work and focus on those things and on goals and on, uh, you know, what I aim to do? And that's why I did write this. I wanted to encourage a conversation and, like, see what people think about this because I myself struggle with this every day. You know, it's like, do I dive in and do I uh, restlessly? I could get restless. I really could. Or do I remember that, you know, you can get burned out and that uh, this has a toll somewhere in the process. So, yeah, so that, that's what it was. <laughs> well, and I, I've, I've got Code Blue right here in my hand now, bought it from you at the show, and I, I've listened to it a couple times, and there are a few things I want to talk about. But right here on the back, <laughs> as you said, uh, 15% of this album sale goes to the American Foundation for Suicide Pre- uh, Prevention. Yes. And I, I saw that, I thought that was very important and and as you said i think some of the themes of the album come through but but to go back to peace versus pace i think it's about knowing or getting to know yourself and admitting where you're at at different times because i think sometimes it's time to slow down and put more thought into where you are and what you're going to do yeah and, and sometimes, though, you have that energy and, and the listeners, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where that, that fire gets lit inside you and you feel like you can do anything. And you don't have that all the time. Mm-hmm. But the, exactly. times, the times when you do feel that way, 
that's a hundred percent like time to go. You got to get on stuff, get stuff done, but recognize when that flame is, is wavering a little bit and, uh, pay attention to that and take care of yourself for a little while and maybe ease back. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also directing it in the right way, you know, where there are different uh, places you can put your energy into, right? So knowing where to uh, give that energy into which uh, which uh, target, you know? Yeah, and that's hard to recognize sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Especially today, you know, there is so much going on and there is so much noise. There, is, there are social media, there are, you know, just so many outlets, right? So... Uh, it's easy to get lost and to forget about what we are about. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get too much into what's going on now, let's talk about um, your roots, where you came from, how you became a, a musician and a fan of music. Uh, where, where, where did you start? So I was told that I started when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, uh, I was told many times by my parents and my big sister that I was singing always. I was always loving music. I would only fall asleep if there was a classical music playing, apparently. So there was always a connection. When I was, I don't remember this, but when I was two, I already took part in some competition on the vacation uh, and uh, I won this apparently. I don't even know because I don't remember, but I have pictures of that. Me with my microphone when I was barely walking. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and then, and then uh, yes, I've always had that. So all those preschools, you know, school time, I've always liked to sing. And that was just something with me. Mm, and it was there. It was on and off, so I would focus on different things and uh, go back to it. But music was always in me, and very, very strongly. When I was five, I picked up my big sister's guitar, and I just started to learn on my own. The guitar was giant, so I could barely keep it in my hands because I was just five. And it was a big guitar for, you know, my sister was a teenager then. And, uh, yeah, I picked it up, and I started learning those uh, basic chords and uh, a uh, little you knew I was seven I was performing at school already singing and playing <laughs> looking back where do you think because all kids are different all kids want to do different things but mm-hmm. a- as a kid where do you think that drive came from just an enthusiasm to be able to create the things that you'd heard I think that it was uh, my sister because she was also into music and she would always sing she actually was in a band, but it's completely different, opposite uh, direction. She was uh, in a blues band, so blues rock, you know, kind of style. Uh, but she was always writing and playing and singing, and I guess that that's how it started. That's what I think. But that's only what I can recall. Uh, now reaching back to what I was told, so the fact that I was singing before I remember makes me think that maybe that's something in my genes, in my blood. I don't know. <laughs> and well, I don't and know I, because there is no, no history of my family having anyone significantly musically inclined. So I don't know. <laughs> well, and I think there is a lot to nature. I think that a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of the way we are, is just somehow biologically in us. 
Yeah. Uh, there, there may be things that we learn, things that we pick up, but I think as far as uh, creative arts, I guess, music, drawing, uh, filmmaking, things like that, uh, you can learn them, but I think there's something innate that we're just born with that, that draws us to them if it's something we want to do. Yeah, yeah, that's how I, I agree with this, definitely. It must be, because how else? I mean, you cannot force someone to be creative. No, so. No. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. not originally from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear it, right? In the <laughs> I, I, it's just a guess. Just a guess. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, if uh, anyone even understands what I'm saying, because I know that I have an accent. So, well, it's uh, so it's just... very very uh, clear English, though. There, I mean, there is an accent, but no more so <laughs> than somebody from a different region of America. So it's no, it's well, no problem at all. Thank you. Thank you. You know, funny thing is that I speak very fast, and right now I'm trying to not speak very fast, but I am known and person to be very talkative and to just talk, 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 talk very fast. A lot of times people tell me, slow down, I don't know what you're saying. So I'm really trying to, like, <laughs> keep, keep uh, you know, remembering this. <laughs> well, you're, you're at a good pace now. now so where is that <laughs> accent from? It's from Poland. So okay. I'm originally Polish, uh, proudly. <laughs> Love Poland. I think it's a beautiful country, great people, uh, beautiful nature. And, uh, yes, I come from Poland. I moved to States in 2006, and I was still traveling back and forth because I've had, I had schools that I had to finish. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how, how, that's where I'm from. That's uh, the roots. <laughs> and then I decided to stay in America. I really liked the way life is here. You know, it's different. It's uh, It feels more free in many ways. And uh, for creative arts, it's definitely the better place to be than Poland. What culturally, what because I, I have very little experience with foreign countries at all. Uh, I'm very much a, a a hometown guy. I've been a few places, okay. but not many. But culturally, uh, is music received differently there, or or uh, popular music? Like how how what would be some of the differences, sort of, between the countries? I don't know about much of a difference. You know, uh, Poland has its underground. And a lot of music uh, that we do here and we like here is popular there as well. There is a lot of underground uh, creativity going on in Poland as well. And uh, it's awesome. The quality of music there is absolutely mind-blowing. A lot of talent. A lot of uh, forces that are just, I feel comparable, you know, with what we got in States as long as creativity and talent goes. But uh, I don't think there is any restrictions uh, to what is admired there and versus what's admired here. There is a, you know, big pop culture scene as well in there. And it's also similar to what we got in States and worldwide, really. I feel ever since, you know, the world globalized and uh, Poland became more open to the idea of uh, Western culture, which, uh, you know, I don't really remember or know it before, but it was the process of adaptation. And even in 2000s, um, 
it was still significant that Poland is learning those, you know, customs and those, uh, the, the, this new open world that the uh, Western world brought. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there is, uh, the, uh, that I can tell you much about the difference in the culture when it comes to the music, because I feel like it depends on people and on uh, what they like. And there are different people everywhere, including Poland. So there are fans of metal music, and metal scene is huge in Poland. But then there is an industrial scene that is uh, sort of niche, just like here. And then there is a pop scene, obviously, you know, more popular because that's what the radios and big uh, uh, companies promote. But uh, other than this, I would say it's very, very relevant, very similar. Well, and especially now, with, I mean, uh, in the Internet age, we all yeah. have access to the same things now. It's made the world much uh, smaller. As many divides as there still are, we at least have the opportunity to get on the same page now. Exactly, which is great. I feel like, you know, with uh, the pluses and minuses of this uh, globalization, of media globalization, I feel that this is actually a huge bonus for everybody because we, at least we get to see and we get to choose what we like now. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. The The... You know, there were great things about, you know, the top 40 world of the 80s where everybody kind of knew all the music, but now we're getting exposed to so many different kinds of things. Yeah. It's easy to get sort of stuck in your own little niche, but other things yeah. are discoverable. Exactly. So it depends on you solemnly whether you want to go out of your way, which is not really out of your way because it's right there. It's within a click. So... You know, it depends on the particular person, whether they want to browse and find something new or they just want to stay loyal and like within what they feel familiar with and uh, just be there. Whether whether it's this or that, I feel the most important is that we feel fulfilled with our music world and, uh, you know, those uh, media opportunities that we have these days. Now, have you had, speaking of opportunity, have you had the opportunity to go back and perform in Poland? So I did not perform in Poland, but I went back uh, recently, actually. It was for family and for some business stuff to basically settle uh, some potential performances in the future. Ah. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to go back and perform, but I would not want to go back just to Poland. So if I go back, I would like to make it European tour where I would go and visit multiple countries, including the Netherlands and uh, the Scandinavian countries and Germany, uh, France, a couple more. So we will see. We will see how it goes. I'm preparing my uh, setup for uh, this possibility and for future ability to be able to do this because uh, the setup, you know, that I currently have is very big and uh, definitely not uh, easy to take uh, over the ocean. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Code Blue. Um, it's been mm -hmm. out since, was it May of last year? So it was actually Code Blue itself came out in October 2018. Okay, okay. Yes, and then a couple of remixes of that album came out, and the remix album, the whole album, will be coming out in March 
this year, March 20th. So I'm very excited about that because it's a different approach of Code Blue. It's like a Code Blue, uh, but Reloaded. I actually called this album Reloaded. So it's a different, different perspective on all those songs. So how did you get to the point, the creative process, where you obviously had been making music for a while and you said, you know what, I've got 10 songs, they're ready to go, I'm happy with them, I want to put them out in the world. What was your process of getting those songs to the point where you were happy with them, you were ready to put the album together and release it and say, look, this is this is my stuff, check it out? Oh, wow. So it was completely different because I was working with bands and, uh, you know, in the process of working with bands, I learned that this is not for me anymore. People would quit and leave me with, uh, you know, just half of the band and I would have to look for another, let's say, bass player. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was uh, the moment when it hit me that, wow, I could look for another bass player or I could do something else. And uh, don't get me wrong, I always have been creative music-wise, and I finished music schools, uh, learning piano and guitar and vocal performance, but I've never done any production. So this album was my test field. It was the testing grounds for producing music. It was the first thing I've ever done this way. So it was not like I've been making music for a while uh, this way. I decided one day that I just want to try and produce my own album because I don't want to be slowed down anymore and I just want to give what I have in me and put it out there. So the process was a bit more complex because I had to literally learn how to produce, how to, you know, uh, make electronic music. And uh, I come from more of a metal, of an organic world. Uh, when it comes to the sound and approaching it. So digitalizing it and making it so that I could then afterwards perform it on my own was a challenge, a a huge challenge for me. But uh, I did it. I did it and those 10 songs came out, uh, you know, came to be. And then I uh, had a great friend of mine and a very talented uh, guy, uh, Brad Pack, who is actually... um, you know, bachelor in audio production, uh, mix and master them for me. And he's, uh, you know, he gave me such great feedback on my stuff that I was, uh, before I wouldn't believe in my stuff much. And then he gave me this feedback and I'm like, wow, maybe maybe something can be of this. Let's see. And uh, yeah, and off I went. I started with promoting first uh, titled track, Code Blue, and then... Uh, the second one, and then the third single with the main album release at the end of uh, 2018. And it slowly, like, it got the good response, so I was mind-blown. I did not expect to get that. Well, it's very... um, Your vocals, first of all, are are what strike me the most, and it's interesting that you say you came from sort of a metal background, um, Mm -hmm. because that that melodic I love especially with industrial music or electronic music uh, that combination of a a nice melodic voice that can also sort of growl and get angry yeah Uh, I I, that 
to me is when I think of like the industrial stuff that I, cause I've, I'm 43 years old. I've been listening to this stuff for a long time now. And wow. some of my favorite acts have that. I really like that feminine vocal presence that can also get very dark, I guess. Yes. Yes. But so I would never be able to perform or write or just, do any happy-go-lucky music and uh, you met me in person and you probably got the vibe i'm a very like positive person and in life uh, i can be that happy-go-lucky and that's who i am but in music it's almost like there is this outlet for all the darkness in me that is left of being happy-go-lucky and that's where music serves and i like darker approach in music a lot and that's what fulfills me that's what makes me happy so the ability to be able to sing uh, powerful vocals and then do some of the growl some of more aggressive uh, singing is uh, letting me uh, do do this and uh, find this fulfillment you know and performance and in, uh, creativity well and also uh, a good maniacal laugh like uh, you, you drop into puppet is a great thing to have yeah. as well. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, I, li- I like it. It's it's all natural, though. You know, it's funny how I'm just having fun, and uh, uh, while I'm having fun, uh, you know, the ability of being able to share this with uh, others is just something absolutely amazing. I cannot state enough how uh, grateful I feel for being able to do this. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about some of your influences because it's, it's you are an, I would say, it sounds like you're an educated musical person. Uh, you mentioned uh, when you first got started listening to classical music, your sister playing in a yeah. blues band. Uh, but for you personally, what like over the years as you've discovered music and different types of music, what kinds of things have made you say, oh, I like that, and that makes me want to create? Oh, wow, it's very hard. You know, I've always struggled with uh, what uh, I would define as my favorite, just because there's so much in there, so much out there that I love. So I could start with classical, you know, with some of the Mozart, like Requiem, like, you know, darker uh, classical music that is very much in me and very much inspires me on daily basis. But then there is uh, things like Aretha Franklin, which I'm not sure you would ever even guess, because it's R&B and it's, you know, bluesy and it's soul. And her vocals are mind-blowing to me. I've always been very inspired by her style, by her, you know, joyful approach to the music and uh, uh, the powerful vocals as well, the, the range of that woman and the way she could take those notes and make them just absolutely mind-blowingly amazing. Then there is uh, Shade, which, you know, again, for industrial musician, it's uh, not something you will ever hear. But that's uh, what inspired me in the first place. I was very young when I discovered her, and I've always loved her smooth, warm vocals. They were almost calming and uh, just wrapping your soul around with this uh, fuzzy feeling, I would say that that's uh, that's something that I would like to do to others with my voice. 
on a lot of occasions. Now there is a lot of metal acts, you know, and that's like, and I can't even begin. The metal music is a, a huge thing for me in my life, and I've always listened to dark and heavy music. So it's really uh, such such broad world of inspiration. There is also industrial stuff, like, you know, classically known by everyone, like Nine Inch Nails. But then on the road of becoming industrial musician, I discovered a lot of great acts, more independent and more underground, even local ones that were just like absolutely amazing to me to, to learn that there is this great music out there. And so, yeah, so the question, I feel like we would have to sit for probably 20 hours and just listen to it and go one by one by one of the playlists, you know, that I had saved and uh, it would probably not still be enough time. <laughs> well, but we can focus a little bit on industrial because to me, uh, I think part of the reason I've always been fascinated by industrial music is it seems to spread out uh, and incorporate so many other genres because when you find a band for like Pigface, for example, yeah. Uh, so many acts worked with them, and I feel like the industrial community is this really collaborative, inclusive community where you have people that play metal, people that do maybe more electronica style stuff. Like, it, it just seems to me like this really interesting almost the traditional idea of the artistic collective yeah where people with lots of different talents that may not traditionally be like like it's not necessarily going to be people who are in ministry you know you mm -hmm. can bring in a, a country musician maybe that's going to play with somebody uh jello biafra mm -hmm. like so many different acts and artists and it feels like such a a artistically rewarding genre i guess it is and it's also very friendly you know it's very inviting so it doesn't disqualify you uh, because you are from a different world uh, on the contrary it takes you in and it welcomes you with such warm uh, greetings and it finds a place for you which is what you said and it ends up in such great beautiful creations and uh, they, you know, they, they are not to be compared to those other genres because coming from so many different sources, when people gather together to create, it will, you know, the, the whatever whatever they work on, it, it will become something that have never been before. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's important because I think part of what is great about industrial music is there is an, uh, you know, other... Uh, other types of music or, or other lifestyles even aren't necessarily excited about things that are different. Yes, exactly. But exactly. I feel like people that are involved in that expression of music get really excited when they see something different. Yes, yes, and it's very noticeable and it's great. And I feel it gives uh, the platform to not just uh, musically, you know, involved people, but also to cultures and to, you know, those issues that we have every day. Uh, do we feel like we belong or do we stand out? Do we want to belong, right? We all do. So then this industrial culture gives you the platform for all those people. Uh, I've heard the cool expression, outcasts. 
mm-hmm. you know, yes. those outcomes to come in and to finally find family, whether it's musical family or, or cultural family. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, and it seems to embrace a lot of different forms of expression because very often uh, you'll see, you know, visual art, uh, graphic arts, all kinds of, lots of poetry, lots of writing. Uh, It's more than just music. It really is uh, its own cultural movement. Yes, definitely. I agree with that. And uh, it's, Again, I feel honored, you know, that I'm part of this culture. I have not known that that this will become. And uh, when I started brainstorming what uh, I could do as a one-person band, there was not uh, many ideas that I would have. Uh, You know, you cannot perform with live drums and play keyboards and play guitar and then sing and then do all the other production stuff at the same time. So I had to figure out what would be the world of music that I could uh, settle on in order from, uh, you know, for me to perform. And uh, industrial seemed like that's the one, electronic industrial music. And uh, starting, I w- as I mentioned before, I was not very, um, you know, certain that what I do will resonate with everybody else and then when it did I felt like wow this is my new family musical family so I definitely from this other angle you know of artistic desires uh, it is it is just so awesome so there's a visual component uh, to your live show as well uh, projected images things going on behind you uh, yes what what sort well one what sort of things did you put together for that and what kind of process was it to determine what you wanted up there on stage with you and two are there any filmmakers or anything that you sort of took inspiration from any films that you saw and thought i like this style i like the way these images are put together so with uh, ideas and inspirations it's sort of you know what uh it was brought by mind and by everything that was, uh, you know, gathered by my experience so far. But uh, also, and big, big, big part, I'm collaborating on those videos with a great artist. Uh, his name is Joel Lopez, and he has a product, video production thing that he's starting. It's called Lumbra Productions. And so, you know, he's my friend. So one day... We met up, and I'm like, listen, I need some visual stuff for those uh, the songs that I'm making. And we talked. We talked. We met several times to discuss uh, what's needed and uh, what kind of, uh, you know, effect I want those videos to have on people, on audience. And then, you know, we were tweaking it together. He was bringing it so greatly. I cannot even ever express how amazing this artist is and uh, long story short you know we we came up with those uh, you know different different visual ideas for each of the songs and that's what is today so yeah and the process of you said it took you about seven months i think to get to the point where it was time for your first live performance yes coordinating everything getting everything on the same page what what were some of the sort of biggest stumbling blocks for you or 
did you just take it as well I'm learning as I go and putting it all together? So it definitely was learning as I go, and I would have those moments of uh, impasse because I would not know how to figure things out. Uh, you know, simple things, but very difficult things, such as how do I play guitar while I still should play keyboard right now? So there was a lot of, uh, you know, rewiring and a lot of planning that was suddenly involved in making sure that I can take those songs that I wrote and now play them live. So, you know, there is two keyboards that I use. One is synth and one is the keyboard, the MIDI controller. And so even simple things such as, you know, how do I plug in all the sounds when I only have one hand free right now because I'm doing something else with another. (laughs) <laughs> it was pretty complex. It was quite a process to to put this together, but uh, in the end, uh, it works, and it's fascinating. You know, I would not give ability uh, to play life as much as I can for anything. I feel it's a huge part of energy on stage, so uh, the more I'm able to create life, the the better the show is, the, the stronger I feel and the happier I am and the more fulfilled and the more I take from it. And I feel if I do, then the audience does as well. Well, and I think that was an important component of seeing you live was it wasn't just that the music was good. It was that you were able to still project energy, I guess, while being busy. <laughs> On stage, (laughs) which goes back to what you said about multitasking, but it's not just multitasking, it's multitasking and performing, because I've seen electronic acts that are primarily uh, a dude or two dudes or whatever with a Mm -hmm. rack of keyboards, and they're maybe jumping up and down a little bit, but mostly they're focused on hitting the right things at the right times. And they're relying on the lights and the bass and whatever else to provide the energy, where in in your live show, you were still providing that energy while doing all of that. Yes, and I feel this is natural. This is just who I am. Uh, Performing to me is the connection. Yeah, yeah. So the big part of why I love performing is because I can connect with people. So that's just there. That is there, and this is happening, you know, regardless of that I have so many other things to do. And uh, that's why it took me so long to go and play my first show, because I just knew that the moment I go on stage, I will forget absolutely everything that I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had (laughs) to get to the point where it was just instinct. I had to. I had to. And, you know, it's very important because you miss one thing. When there is so many instruments to uh, take in account, you miss one thing and everything can go wrong. So I've had shows like this, you know, and of course I won't reveal. (laughs) (laughs) The show must go on. But I've had shows when I would mess something up pretty badly and I was like, oh no. (laughs) But then you have to keep going. And uh, yeah, so many cables, so many uh, wirings, so many, you know, looping and like just just mind-blowing to me even still even though i've been doing this for more than a year now i'm still like wow how am i doing this <laughs> well and that's a critical thing uh 
that again, maybe you just have or you don't to be able to recover from an error and keep going. Because if, if you power through it, I think chances are the audience probably doesn't even pick up on it. Yeah. But, yes. But I also learned that it's that, you know, again, it's the energy. So yeah. errors happen in our lives. And so if the error happens and audience picks up on it, it's just an error. And I feel in life and every day, it's not mistakes that we make on or errors that we cause, but it's our attitude towards those errors that we make that makes us who we are. So, you know, it's, uh, it's this, you know, I feel like I could, of course, I could like pause my show and say, oh, I'm sorry, something went wrong. It's not the way I uh, wanted to do this. Or I could keep going and make the best of what uh, the momentum gives and, uh, those are usually the best shows, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, and by the time the next song starts, nobody's even thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, I don't think people pick up on this no, unless no. there is a big error on the, you know, uh, venue side when the thing just goes down. I've had this happen in, uh, what, uh, it was in Omaha and uh, Nebraska. Uh, the, the whole system just went down. Oh, no. And we all had to reboot it. And there was a, a lot of people at this show. It was uh, during my cold blue tour with Zwer Machine back in the spring and summer. And it was independent, smaller tour, but it was amazing. And uh, yes, this happened. And I felt very wild. I felt like I want to go back there and play even harder to give to those people, you know, uh, what what they are waiting for, and it was just great. The energy was so it was so hot that night in this venue, and it was just mind blowing how amazingly people responded even to this mistake, you know, to this to this error that wasn't even my error. It was the venue, but the show stopped. <laughs> now, in touring, uh, how how long would you consider yourself to have been a touring musician? I don't. I, were you touring previous to this? Uh, musical endeavor so i did a little bit here and there with uh, the metal band i used to be with but uh, i would just say that real touring life began in 2019 for me okay it's like a real real touring from very independent tour when you go in your car a van in my case and you know you go with your team and with a dog because i take my dog uh, whenever i can uh, with with me and uh, you know just setting up getting down going to hotel to the tour with big face that was the tour bus tour which was uh, you know great because i didn't have to worry about driving and so yeah i i think 2019 makes that mark for me and as far as being out on tour are there are there things about that lifestyle that maybe you didn't expect or maybe you loved more than you knew you would? Like, what what was your discovery of that life? So playing shows uh, every night is a great thing for me. I just love playing life. And that is something that I didn't even expect will feed me in the way it did. It was very uplifting and energizing. And sometimes, you know, you you get tired because it's all the loadings, loadouts. And, uh, you know, you are on the road. You are far away from your everyday life. 
uh, it can get difficult, but the moment I was uh, ready to go on stage and playing, I was revived. Every night it was like I was reborn. So that was something that I knew to the point, but I just was mind blown how strong it was. That surprised me, definitely. Other than this, uh, when I was going on each of those two tours that I had this uh, past year, I decided that I will not have any expectations because I didn't know. Yeah. So yeah. I figured, you know, it's best not to expect anything or expect hardship. You know, so expect that I will be more tired or all the bad things. And I like to be prepared like this mentally because then no matter what happens, uh, you know, you end up being fine, right? Yeah, so I yeah. The realistic approach to this and then, you know, it was just I mean, there was hardship. Of course, there was hardship. There was, uh, you know, element of being tired and, uh, again, missing everyday things that you would not have on the road. But everything else was great. Great. I, I think that's an important point of view that you have to have when doing uh, anything new or really anything is that be be prepared for the worst but hope for the best that's such an old uh saying i guess but it really it really holds true it's not it's not pessimism it's practicality oh it's definitely not pessimism i steer away from pessimism it's the realism you know of life and uh preparation yes it's very important very important and yes as you said uh you know uh that that exactly that resonates with everything about touring. I feel it's very important, and it's funny, you know, Martin Atkins uh, from Big Face. You know Martin, right? Okay, so real quick, mm-hmm. I'll, let me give you a little aside about my experience. Uh, I, as an artist, he is somebody that blows me away. Um, mm-hmm. And at the show, now I spoke to you. We had a brief conversation. Got the selfie. Yeah. Um, and two occasions, Martin Atkins was within arm's reach of me, and I've interviewed Ric Flair and Sting and professional wrestlers and actors. I've interviewed all kinds of people. I could not talk to Martin Atkins. I got starstruck. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and I felt like so such cute. a dum-dum, and my wife was making fun of me because um, <laughs> she actually went to the restroom at one point, and Martin, this was while you were playing, he walked mm-hmm. out, stood right in front of me and was sort of dancing a little bit to your set, watched you for a little while. He's right in front of me. I should have just said, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. So I couldn't mm-hmm. do a thing. He's right in front of me. And then he walks backstage. <laughs> um, and I went over to the merch table later on and ended up talking to the guy that was working over there. It turns out he's Martin Atkins' son. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, Ian. Yeah, was so nice, and I told him, I was like, man, I, your dad was like too much. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't talk to him. And he was like, no, just after the show, stick around. He's doing this thing. Just say hi. It's it's fine. He's it's, It'll be fine. And uh, hmm. I, I couldn't, after the show was done, we were both, we're, we're old and tired, so we were like, ah, we got to go home. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I've, everything I've heard, he's the nicest guy. Yes, exactly, you know, and a funny little fact is that back in 2015, 2016, actually, I graduated 
from Chicago's SAE Institute, which is, uh, you know, I finished music business program there, and Martin was my professor. Okay. So okay. that's how I got to know Martin, and I got to know Martin, you know, uh, closely because we've had those classes, and the school had very the program was very small. So sometimes there was only five students in the classroom, and uh, I learned that he's very approachable and uh, has a lot of great knowledge, uh, such as you know giving those advices to how to survive different elements of being a musician, a touring musician, recording musician, or human in general. Yeah, every interview I've read, he seems very, uh, not not just brilliant, but also just a good human. Yeah, he is. He is very, he's uh, very uh, open-hearted, and um, uh, he has very open mind as well. Uh, it's just great human, great human. One of probably greatest humans out there, uh, in the spectrum of things, uh, you know, as as far as I know, and uh, I'm again very thankful to know him, very thankful to learn from him. A lot of lessons that uh, I was able to gather because of Martin Atkins. So yeah. <laughs> well, next next time he's in town, I'll I'll get it together and I'll say hi to him. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Or come come, you know, to any other show. You know, perhaps uh, I'm not sure what Big Face plans are. I've heard that there are some plans for the future, but I know that uh, uh, this is not the last time Martin Atkins is doing a public thing. He does a lot of speeches as well, so maybe one of the speech uh, uh, tours that he has. Oh, know. yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. I love... Yeah. Uh, that's one of the great things about so many of the artists uh, that I sort of grew up loving is that now they're doing lots of spoken word tours or reflections yeah. on their careers or things like that and it's very interesting because I, I love the music or the filmmaking or whatever but I also love the thought processes behind it. Of course all the details you know yes, and yes. Uh, those uh, tasty little things that uh, every day we cannot share or you know or know uh, or learn yeah those are the things that uh, only the person who lives through them can tell us about right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap things up, we got to talk. You mentioned earlier Code Blue Reloaded. Yes. Which is coming out in March. Uh, the pre-order goes up in February, is that right? Yes, February 20th will be the pre-order on my Bandcamp page. And then March 20th, the big release is going to happen. There is a lot of great uh, talent that I was honored with to have remixed my songs. So I'm very excited for this album to come out. Now, what is, I've always been curious about this, what is the remix process? As as you being the artist that originated this music, um, sort of giving your creations to other people to, to manipulate and change around and put their own touch on, what's that process like? Like, it's got to be exciting to see how other people interpret your work. Oh, it's very exciting. It is so awesome. It's almost as exciting as writing your own songs, uh, you know, first. <laughs> because it's like uh, having your own babies being reborn, you know. That's how I how I like to uh, describe this. But uh, process is, you know, uh, fairly easy, at least on my end, because I prepare the packs for the remixes and I send them to artists who are interested or whom I get in touch with and ask. And then they do their, you know, their own take on 
the songs that I've written. And a lot of those songs, when you hear the Code Blue Reloaded, are very different. So the Code Blue that is now remixed uh, is completely different. And I have three different remixes of Code Blue song itself. Uh, so with each uh, Bandcamp download and each uh, physical purchase of the album, there will be additional 10 songs, 10 remixes coming out, which means there is 20 songs together that I will be releasing in March. Oh, wow, that's and fantastic. Songs, yeah, each of those songs is a different take by different artists. So I'm super excited to share this with the world. And uh, so many great, mm, great talented uh, you know, artists did participate in the project. It's mind-blowing. They are, some of those artists are underground artists that are emerging, and some of them are known to the scene already. So altogether, the mix of the powers, you know, and gravities is just such amazing, uh, empowering thing that, uh, yeah, I can't wait till March. <laughs> well, and that's another exciting aspect, like we were talking about before, where it's that thing where somebody's familiar with you, and now they get this new collaboration with all of these other artists and they get to expand out into people that they they may not know about and learn other things i mean it's yeah. uh, it really is a good world to be in musically i think it is a great world and you know talking about collaborations quickly you know there is a joy tips uh collaballation i'm not sure you've heard about them of, of uh, glass eyes yeah, yes. so they remixed, uh, the Joytips remixed Glass Eyes, but uh, furthermore, the Joytips is another uh, collaborative, you know, uh, entity. It's basically a bunch of different musicians coming from bands such as Ministry, such as, uh, uh, it's, I, I don't even know, there is so many creative, beautiful, talented people in this band, and... Uh, Yes, yeah, so the Joytips is another collaborative force that is uh, awesome as an uh, example of industrial scene being this welcoming uh, place that feels like home. Well, before we go, uh, where give us where we can find you online. And obviously, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. You've got a website. What is uh, what's your web address, and and where can we pre-order? Um, Code Blue Reloaded. Yes, yeah, so my website is ayatoya.com, which is I-Y-A-T-O-Y-A-H.com. <laughs> and the reason I'm spelling it is because I know for some people it's hard to figure out what my name is. <laughs> so I will quickly say that when spoken out loud, my name means in Polish, it means it's just me. But yes, it is I. Y-A-T-O-Y-A-H. So the website is simple. And then all the social media that I have uh, are basically the same handle, Ayatoya. And uh, my Bandcamp is the same name, Ayatoya on Bandcamp. And that's where you can uh, pre-order the Code Blue Reloaded album starting February 20th. Well, Ayatoya... Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you um, and, and learning about your journey as a musician to get to that stage in Atlanta, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It, it means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, thank you for supporting the scene, uh, industrial scene, independent scene, uh, musical scene, all the arts. And, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for being on your show tonight. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. So go check out all the social media. I put links uh, to everything in the show notes. Uh, go order or buy digitally or whatever your copy of Code Blue. It's awesome. I've listened to it several times uh, already since I got it at the show. And I am looking forward to Code Blue Reloaded, the remix album that was mentioned. What a great conversation. And you know what? I, prior to recording this day that I recorded that episode, I uh, listened to Mark Marin talking to Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and he talked a little bit before the interview about how he got nervous and about how, you know, sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes he just doesn't want to do it anymore or whatever. And it really kind of invigorated me and made me excited to talk to people. And that interview with Ayatoya got me excited and wanting to interview people. I want to talk to more people. I want to talk to different people. Uh, I've got one interview that has been sort of floating around for well over a year now, probably two years at this point that has has been uh, a little difficult to sort of schedule and figure out that I'm going to make happen. Uh, I want to have, uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, uh, I talked to local legend Jim Stacy, and I've, I've sort of sent out feelers about having him back on the show because I'd love to talk to him again. I think both of our perspectives have changed a lot since that initial interview. Uh, I, I want to talk to more people. So if you've got a if you if you've got a project, if you've got a thing, if you've got a band, if you've got a book, if you've got whatever, uh, shoot me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Shoot me a message on Facebook, uh, just Dave West, or shoot the Needless Things Podcast Facebook page a message. Uh, I'd love to talk to some more people. I, I'm I'm hyped for talking now. Uh, so come back next week. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.